I was sitting at the counter of a diner in North Dakota, and I had a hilarious fly-on-the-wall situation. Just me sitting there listening to three sisters yapping it up, to themselves and to the waitress. And then this guy comes in, who knows the sisters, and they all start yapping it up about local stuff with the classic thick North Dakota accent that I've become so intrigued by ever since I saw the movie Fargo. I was hoping I would get to see this kind of authentic, regional human interaction that I could only experience in that moment, in that place, and nowhere else in the world. I'm Giulio Gallarotti, and this is Pack Light Season 1, A COVID-Friendly Road Trip. The next two days were a little more business than usual. I had to cover a ton of ground to make it back to Chicago by July 3rd. Fortunately, and this was lucky, since this late in the trip, it had become very difficult to be thorough with the hotel booking, but Dickinson was in the direction that I needed to go. To clarify, you know, when you leave the national park, you have to drive to your hotel. So it was like a 30 minute drive to my hotel. And I wasn't sure which direction that was gonna be in. I hadn't even thought about that. I just assumed it would be close and hope for the best, you know? But it turned out that I drove 30 minutes in the direction that I needed to go to get to the hotel, if that makes sense. Another positive is that it also appeared that I would be on pretty well-traveled highways for the remainder of the trip, which was nice because I could worry a little less about messing up the car this late in the game. But I still had about a thousand miles to go. And I, of course, plan on still making a few stops. Today, I would be driving from Dickinson, North Dakota to Minneapolis, Minnesota with two stops in between. The first was the Enchanted Highway, and the second was the Knife River Indian Village's National Historic Site. All in all, this would be about 600 miles. Standard at this point, but no slouch. Stop number one, the Enchanted Highway between Regent and Gladstone in North Dakota. This was another recommendation from a DM that I didn't know existed, and it was interesting for sure. It's basically a short 30-mile highway where every couple of miles there's a really big sculpture. There doesn't really appear to be any sort of theme to the different sculptures. It's quirky and certainly very unique. This is the description on the website. The Enchanted Highway begins at exit 72 on I-94 near Gladstone and terminates 32 miles down the road in the small town of Regent. Beginning with, quote, geese in flight at exit 72, large metal sculptures are placed along the county highway, each with a parking area and a kiosk, except for the geese in flight, which is viewable from the adjacent interstate. Sculptures include world's largest tin family, Teddy rides again, pheasants on the prairie, grasshoppers in the field, Deer Crossing, and Fisherman's Dream. (laughs) Pretty weird names, right? I'm actually pretty upset that I didn't drive far enough to see the large tin family. From the pictures, it looked really cool. I'm not even being sarcastic. (laughs) But I really like the giant pheasants. It's pretty cool. The whole area is like a really beautiful situation. It's the same kind of rolling hills that you'd see in neighboring South Dakota. But literally out of nowhere, every few miles is this 
weird mystical oasis with some kind of giant metal structure. Something it seems like a kid would be blown away by, but this doesn't necessarily seem like it lends itself specifically to children. It almost felt like a giant fairyland for adults to enjoy driving by as well. A Google search yielded this information. Local artist Gary Greff conceived of the project and began building it in 1989 and continues to maintain the sculptures. He took inspiration from local wildlife and historical figures, including Theodore Roosevelt. Greff's intention was to revive his hometown of Regent after decades of population and economy decline. Pretty nice story, right? Anyway, it was 12.30 and time to stop for lunch. The stop? The Sunset Bar and Grill in New Salem, North Dakota. This place was a pretty basic diner situation, with a long bar to sit at and some tables along the window. They likely did dinner as well, because when I went to the bathroom, I noticed a big area with tables and such in the back. Again, no one wearing masks, but this place was pretty off the beaten path, so I wasn't particularly stressed about it. There were a table of sisters sitting behind me. It was unclear if one of them knew the waitress or not, but they started talking about how they were sisters to her their plans for the summer and all that, with a pretty impressive and thick North Dakotan accent, all of them. Worthy of the movie Fargo, which obviously takes place in North Dakota and is one of my all-time favorites. The movie has gotten pushed aside in recent years by the popular TV series, which I haven't seen, but the movie is an absolute classic and a must-see, one of the best comedies of all time. The women all had similar short haircuts, all wearing denim capri pants, and then also that like classic older lady t-shirt that they might call a blouse and sneakers. One of them wore kind of a sporty pocketbook as she might've called it. They looked like they were ready to go visit the Statue of Liberty or something. Two of them drank sodas out of those classic 16 ounce diner plastic cups you drink fountain soda out of, you know, the red one. And the oldest of the bunch sipped a coffee and they were just yapping it up. <laughs> About 10 or 15 minutes in, this older gentleman walked in wearing a trucker hat, a plaid t-shirt, with a very impressive mustache. He must have been like 60 or 65 years old. Big guy, too. Maybe like 6'3", 280 or something. He looked intimidating, but his bark was certainly larger than his bite because he immediately approached the table of women and started a respectful conversation with them. He took off his hat, and he started chatting them up. It was obvious they knew each other. Oh, I heard you forced out your neighbors over there. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, they just sold the house next door and didn't even tell us they were doing it. It was pretty odd, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was great. I was loving it. It was like the stereotypical North Dakota accent situation. The guy then sat down at the bar and the woman who was waiting on him asked him what he would like to drink. And I just thought this was such a hilarious encounter. He goes to her, oh, just water. And then as she walked away, he mumbled to himself, good old water. <laughs> I was cracking up. I ordered an omelet with home fries and toast, a pretty safe bet. It was like nine bucks, good deal. I gave the girl at the diner a big tip again. This time she actually noticed and was thankful, but I had already prepared myself not to need any gratification for my good deed. So I was unaffected by her positive reaction. That's self-improvement, baby. <laughs> Next stop, the Knife River Indian Villages. That was about an hour later. It 
It was about a 75-mile detour, which is typically an entire day trip, but a tiny drop in the bucket on a massive road trip like this. I was thinking about how driving to see my parents from New York City is 120 miles, and that seems like a tough drive during normal life. It's just funny how like mileage really is also relative, you know, and you learn that when you're on some of these road trips. Lewis and Clark actually famously stopped at the Knife River Villages 168 days into their expedition. There was a nice little hike connected to the grounds. It was more of a walk. It was flat and grassy, tall grass, and really windy, with scattered trees. I felt like I could have been on the grasslands of Africa. It was one of those moments where you'd never be able to guess where you were if you didn't know already. There was a big native dwelling on the grounds as well that was arranged in traditional fashion how they would have had it back then type of deal. Animal skins and different stations for different things. I feel like that's all we ever learned about natives in school, is how they survived, and how their whole day was about survival, you know? I don't recall ever learning anything about like what they do for fun or like what their sex habits were like and all that good stuff, you know? But that's also probably because I stopped learning about this in the fifth grade. So I'm sure that there's more adult reading that I could do about the native culture. <laughs> Which also, let me mention, props to my school system for making sure they taught us about that stuff. They easily could have completely brushed over the history of the natives and stuff. So even though the school's learning curriculum is typically a little revisionist or whatever, I still think that that's nice that they teach us about that. The end of the little walk led you to like an oasis kind of situation where a river just kind of appears out of nowhere. Again, it looked like something you'd see on an African safari, minus the absence of animals. The river gently flowed by, with not a person in sight. It was 2 p.m. Time to hightail it to Minneapolis. Passing cars on these road trips is always an interesting thing. Local people seem to be so good at doing it. They have no problem passing on a two-way, single-lane road where they have to enter the oncoming traffic's lane. I, personally, am super cautious about it because sometimes the depth perception is confusing. So if I can see a car at all, I just assume that it's close, even if I have plenty of time to pass. It just makes sense to me. We're both going really fast, coming at each other. It's just likely not the move to pass. So for the most part, I only do it when I am absolutely positively sure that I have time to complete the move. This trip, Actually, this moment was the first time in my entire life that I went to pass and then had to go back into my lane before the pass was complete because the oncoming traffic was getting too close. The oncoming traffic in this situation were two bikers and they were coming at me really quickly. So I moved back into my lane and as they passed by me, they both emphatically flipped me the middle finger, just like aggressively flipping me the bird. Like, thanks guys, real nice. Like, I had no idea why they would even be so aggressive about it. Like, I courteously moved back into my lane. I would think that they would wave with gratitude. It just didn't make sense. And like, those types of things can be hard for me to let go of. I told my girlfriend the story and she laughed and didn't seem to think too much about it. So I figure I should just take the same course and get over it. But that's funny because two months later, we were driving through Arizona and she was driving slowly in the fast lane and a guy in a pickup truck pulled up on our right side and flipped her the middle finger. And she didn't stop talking about it for a week. <laughs> and you could even definitely argue that she definitely deserved it more than I did, since she was driving slowly in the passing lane. So 
take that, Hillary, okay? It was about four o'clock in North Dakota, and the plan was to go for an early dinner in Fargo to pay homage to one of my favorite movies, and then I would hightail it out of there to Minneapolis. I got to Fargo around 6 p.m., and I hit Doolittle's Woodfire Grill, which looked good according to Yelp. I ordered myself a delicious three-course meal, a big house salad, a bowl of chowder, and a chicken and artichoke quesadilla. Every item was delicious. Not to mention, I also ordered two Casamigos Blanco and soda. My original plan was not to stop in Minnesota. I was gonna stay somewhere in Wisconsin or something, maybe in Green Bay. But there were so many moving parts to the trip that I didn't plan to even cross that bridge till I got closer. As I approached, I realized that a night in Minneapolis was the most interesting option, especially with all the civil unrest and activism that was sparked into motion by the video of George Floyd being killed there. It seemed like an opportunity to experience something unique by going to that site. I mentioned this earlier, but I had received a DM about how I needed to go check out the George Floyd Memorial, which I didn't understand how there was already a memorial when the riots had just started a month or so ago. But more on that in a bit. I was a little unpleasantly surprised at how poorly maintained the roads in Minneapolis were. They definitely needed a little spit shot. They were bumpy, pothole-filled, and stressful for a renter who was a day away from dropping his car off after driving thousands of miles. I got to the hotel around 10 p.m., which was the latest I had arrived anywhere during this trip. I felt better about it since I was driving to a big city. As I arrived into the city, there were fireworks going off overhead, which seemed fitting. This had been the site of what turned into the biggest civil rights uprising of my lifetime. All starting with George, which acted as sort of the big bang for what was to follow. I think it's safe to say that the filming of the murder of George Floyd by police in Minneapolis will have likely made a lasting impact for generations to come. hotel for the night was the Hilton Minneapolis downtown. Yet again, I got put on a floor with tons of commotion. This is easily one of the biggest hotels I've ever been in, and yet again, they put me in a problematic hallway. I just really don't understand this phenomenon. But when I say party, I mean party. I heard commotion throughout the night, including what I thought was some kind of confrontation with either the police or someone working at the hotel, presumably telling people to shut up. But I think there were also some internal scuffles as well among the patrons of this hotel party. It was spectacularly unpleasant, but this was my last night, so it was okay. The finish line was visible. On the next and last episode of Pack Light Season 1, I know, dry your eyes, 
I explore the George Floyd Memorial, visit my last national park site of the trip, and pick up some homemade pies in Wisconsin as I head to my final destination. Check out my YouTube channel for the entire episode, along with a soothing visual accompaniment, and check out the Instagram, at PackLightPics, for some videos and pictures of the stuff from this episode and the whole trip. And also for a checklist of all the stops I made if you want to try to do a similar trip yourself. There's a link to my playlist in the episode description as well. Message me on my Instagram, at NotHulio. That's N-O-T-J-U-L-I-O. And let me know your thoughts and suggestions. Basically anything you have to say. I would really love to hear from you. Thank you guys for making it with me this far. One more episode to go.